you by the Game Reviews and the Unified Games Network. You're listening to Big Red Potion, episode 41. Uh, I had to think about that. My name is Sinan Koba, I'm your host, and uh, this week I'm joined by regular guest Jeffrey Matleff. Hey guys. How are you doing, Jeff? Uh, doing well. Very good. Um, just gotten up. <laughs> yes, yeah, just in my early... 11 a.m. Pacific time, which is not that early. I'm just have a terrible sleep schedule. <laughs> Excellent. I'm sure you'll wake up as the show goes along. Um, I'm also joined by two very special guests. Uh, they're both returning guests, and we are really excited to have them both on again. So, first up is author of the Brainy Gamer blog and host of its podcast, Michael Abbott. Hi, Sinan. How are you doing, sir? I'm great. Great. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. And... At the last minute, at the 13th hour, uh, standing in for Joe, who unfortunately can't make it this week because of family issues, uh, but very excited to have in his stead the uh, Game Critics, I think, senior editor? I'm gonna, I'm pretty sure he'll correct me on that, but also author of his own blog at Drinking Coffee Cola and uh, an author of, I think, novels? You're going to have to correct me on all this, Brad. I, I, I completely don't know who you are. Who are you, Brad Galloway? <laughs> I am this week's mystery guest. Yes, I am the senior editor at GameCritics.com. We do have the Game Critics podcast, the Drinking Coffee Cola blog, and I actually have completed my second fiction novel, both of which will be hopefully published uh, in 2011. So that's me, and thanks for having me back. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you, and I'm glad that, you, <laughs> that I now know who you are. we've only known each other like a year um anyway so this week's topic uh it's kind of like a a collaboration between jeffrey and michael i I, i'm not sure i think jeff you it was your idea first and and then michael hopped on board is that right um more or less or we were just thinking along the same lines anyway okay so do do you want to kind of introduce what it was okay so um i've been thinking lately that a lot of the games i've been playing were just kind of what I consider to be guilty pleasure games or games that had poor writing or probably wouldn't stick with me or didn't have anything that unique or artistic to say, but were still just incredibly fun and just had their hooks in me. And I realized Michael had been playing Monster Hunter, which I have not played, but it looked kind of along those lines as something that's just kind of addictive, but doesn't have a lot to say. And I guess maybe in light of the whole Roger Ebert art games art thing, which just got everyone angry and led to lots of debates going in circles... I just got kind of tired of, of looking at games seriously for a moment, and I just wanted to have fun. And I knew Michael is kind of going through a, a similar phase, and, um, and I know that Brad had also been playing Monster Hunters. So I was kind of curious to see what uh, their takes on that, and I, I can actually never keep up with Brad's taste. He's full of surprises. <laughs> and and I know, Sam, you also have a lot of games that fit that uh um, that status for you, notably Street Fighter and that sort of thing. So I thought we could just kind of sit around and talk about games that we like because no podcast has done that before, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just first want to, want to, uh, to contend that Super Street Fighter 4 is incredibly serious. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a, a fun at all. It is a, a work I work hard at it. No, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm completely with you, Jeffrey. Uh, I think it's it's a fantastic idea, and I, and and Michael, you were it was something that you were sort of thinking about too. Yeah, I mean, I've sort of got a monster hunter try monkey on my back, so uh, <laughs> I, I'm desperately addicted to it, and it it's it's pure fun for me. Um, although, you know, there's a whole kind of analytical side to it. I mean, you really, I think for me, the reason I I enjoy it so much, the hunting is 
not quite an afterthought. The hunting is really fun, but it's really all about getting ready to hunt. And uh, I'm I'm just a fiddler. You know, I can't help it. I like fiddling with my equipment and tweaking things and trying to figure out how how to optimize what I've got. And I don't know why that appeals to me, but it does. <laughs> and uh, so you can just burn a lot of hours, you know, doing that and meeting new people online. And you know, there's a lot of fun elements to it. But it's not going to change your life, you know. <laughs> At least not for the better. It'll, yeah, right, right. It makes, it, you'll made, get your family mad at you and you'll lose all yeah. responsibility. <laughs> yeah. It, actually, I'll, well, no, I won't tell. I, I was going to tell a story about that, but I won't. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it can mess up your family life a little bit. I, I, I want to hear the story now, actually. <laughs> oh, this, this is going to a dark place. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, that's just critiquing games and... <laughs> So, so let, I, I'm, let, let's not let this go, I, Michael. How, how has a Monster Hunter kind of infringed on family life? <laughs> well, in, it, it, I play games typically very late at night or like really early in the morning. That's the only the only two times I can typically play because we've got a small child and I, I've got a paying job and other things. So, uh, Monster Hunter has been mostly my late at night game, and. It's just one of those games, everybody's played this kind of game that, you, you know, it's suddenly 4 o'clock in the morning and you just like, how did that happen? And I did that. I'm not so young anymore. I can't do that like I used to when I was 20. And so uh, I did it two nights in a row and I was on Zoe duty, our daughter, and, you know, getting her up in the morning. And she just decided to get up particularly early one morning after I had had sort of two consecutive nights of Monster Hunter Try Madness. And... I mean, I just like a zombie stumbled into her room and sort of took her downstairs and she's watching this cartoon, which is, you know, bad parenting I put on TV for her because I just want to somehow collect myself and I just fell asleep, (laughs) which is like the worst possible kind of parenting. You know, she's two years old. She can really get into some serious trouble and I just passed out. And uh, fortunately, nothing bad happened. She woke me up, but... uh, I had this little moment like, oh, my God, what the hell am I doing? You know, like she could have fallen down the stairs or some crazy thing. So, um, yeah, it was a little, little bit of a wake-up call. I needed to back off just a wee bit on the Monster Hunter. Wow. I mean, I, I, I've definitely been there, too. I'll, I'll, I'll go into that a bit later. I, I just wanted to bring Brad in because uh, I haven't heard from him yet. And uh, it's interesting because I, I was just going to say, talking about, you know, Jeffrey was talking about the Twitter conversation about Roger Ebert and all the seriousness. And uh, I just spotted before we started recording, you were talking with uh, with Andrew Groen of uh, formerly of the Game Reviews now, a number of sites about Alan Wake. And I think Andrew called it a, you know, on the uh, on the par with Heavy Rain as a game we'll be talking about for some time. And you were you were a bit more cynical of the game and its <laughs> importance. And I, it's kind of interesting because one of the things you you kind of I've noticed from your game critics reviews and t- talking to you is that you're you're, you're admittedly jaded in, about games <laughs> sometimes, and I was just wondering: do you, do you do you get into this this sort of the same thing Michael's talking about about getting into a game that much where you just can't put it down anymore? Oh, absolutely! When he was telling that story about Monster Hunter, I could totally relate because uh, being a, a father myself, um, and congratulations to you, Michael, on your little one. Um, <laughs> you know, I've, you. I've, it's the same for me. I can only play games early in the morning or late at night, and since I am a night person and not a morning person, that only leaves late at night. So. Usually what happens is, you know, we'll get through the day and we'll, we'll do our routine and then it'll be like, you know, 10, 11 o'clock, the wife starts going to bed and then I start playing games. And, you know, I go to bed at 2, 3, 4 and, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not exactly old, but I, I certainly say that I, I feel those nights a lot more than I used to. Um, anyway, but yeah, getting back to uh, uh, Alan Wake and being jaded, yeah, I freely admit to being jaded. I mean, I've played like a ton of games 
for many years, and you know, I, I've looked at them with a critical eye, and just you know, with anything, not just games, but with books or with film or with even cooking or or something like that. You know, if you do it long enough and you put enough time and effort into it, like the the standard run of the mill things just don't do it for you anymore, and you really have to start looking for experiences that kind of push the envelope in a certain way, and that's kind of what we're about at Game Critics, but. At the same time, I mean, this is kind of a good time to bring this topic up because I definitely am a little bit ready to just not talk about quality of story or quality of writing or is it, you know, accessible to people? Are we including different genders and orientations? I mean, that's all very, very, very important stuff near and dear to my heart. But to talk about, you know, just something that's fun is something that I actually don't do very often. So this is this is really good timing for me. Okay, so I, I, I guess it would be... A- a good idea because I think each of you kind of got a game in mind to talk about uh, as a as a guilty pleasure. I know Michael's going to probably talk about Monster Hunter Tree, and uh, Brad, I'm not sure what your game is because we've arranged this a bit late. But I think I've got an idea what Jeff's game is. So um, that's good because I don't. You don't because you. <laughs> you <laughs> interesting. I, I, I thought it was going to be God Hand because you recently wrote a, a column about it. And yeah, there's a few little games here right. and there. I don't have like one specific. But we'll, we can get to that. Okay. So, so what, what, what makes a game a guilty pleasure for you? Why, what, what, I, I, it's kind of interesting to think about, because I, I was thinking about my game and trying to work out, well, why am I guilty about it? Um, why do I feel bad about <laughs> playing so much of it? And I, I kind of wanted to throw that question your way, too. You know, I got into games fairly late in my life. I mean, I played them a lot as a child, and then I became a teenager, and games were still kind of seen as for kids or for dorks, so I kind of wanted to be really cool and got out of them in middle school and high school and the first half of college. Um, so I think that by the time I, I, I still had this mindset that they were kind of just a time drain and I was very into literature and writing and you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, over time I began to take games more seriously, but if you, a lot of games still have bad writing. I think that we're, I'm not alone in saying that. And I, I feel like maybe a guilty pleasure is a game that, that is basically a time sink, even if it has maybe okay-ish writing, if it's. If you're not getting anything new out of it, and you're just playing it because you enjoy the interactions from playing it with, but it, it, I guess it gets something that's fun to do, but leaves you little to think about afterwards. Um, particularly, I'm thinking of a lot of action games like Devil May Cry, Bayonetta. Um, those are the kind of this, the games that I like. I never get that excited for them because they don't. I never think about them when they're done. But while I'm in the middle of playing them, they just have their hooks in me really well. So. Um, so yeah, something that you think is not um, something that you think is not productive, or that you're thinking about that much, is just sort of a time sink. I guess is my definition. I had a little bit of a different take on it. Um, I listening to him talk. I mean, I totally understand what he's saying about a game being like a time sink. But I think for me, um, my my quote unquote, you know, guilty pleasures are a little bit different. Um, I really like to go for any kind of game that has like a character that I like or a story that really is interesting, even if it's not really that well written or if the characters are pretty flat or something. I mean, if, if for whatever reason there's a hook to it, that'll keep me going even if the gameplay is stale or if it's dull or if it's really old. I mean, it doesn't bring anything new to the table. If, if that story is interesting to me, I will continue to play that game all the way to the end just to find out what happens. And inevitably, I'll be disappointed, of course. But, you know, just to see how it turns out. And to me, that's kind of a guilty pleasure when I'm not really learning anything about game design critically or I'm not learning anything about good games writing. But there's just something about it, just that curiosity that gets spiked in me, and I really have to just find out how it turns out. So, for me, I don't really go 
I mean, I play tons of action games, but they don't hook me the same way that Jeff described, I don't think. For me, it's more about the what's going to happen at the end, and those are my, my guilty pleasures, I think. Yeah, I guess I would agree. I mean, I, I play a lot of narrative games, and I write about those kinds of games a lot. So if I get hooked by the story or characters, that, that interests me. But um, if I think about like what makes me stay hooked to a game like Monster Hunter Try or um, like Pokemon Heart Gold, uh, it's really just the system inside the game that makes you just want to play for like 10 more minutes, just another turn or another hunt or... I just want to find that one other Pokemon. Uh, and it, there's something addictive about that to me, which, as I think about it, has nothing to do with storytelling, really. So I guess for me, guilty pleasures are, are games that either like Pokemon, which are just you know very predictable and very kind of old hat, I think still very solid and it's a terrific game, but it, there's nothing really new on the table there, not, not much new. Um, but it's just reliable fun. Uh, I guess Dante's Inferno would be a guilty pleasure for me. It's kind of a, a mess in a certain way, but I like it. I like the, the gameplay. It was fun. And I love the environments. And it was just, I don't know, I enjoyed plowing through that game. I don't think I ever feel guilty playing games. I have to say. I mean, there was a time when I did, and I, I actually wrote about it way back. On, on my blog and I had a really interesting kind of comments and conversation with people sort of offline and online about guilty gaming and that was sort of therapeutic for me I, I pretty much jettisoned it at that point now I just play what I want to play and I don't really feel guilty about playing a bad game or a child's game or, or whatever kind of game that used to embarrass me um, I mean I know what you're asking I, I don't think we're like all like you know sitting in the corner uh, huddled and feeling you know, something horrible but I, I just don't feel guilty about playing video games of any kind anymore yeah I would, I would agree with that I think for me the guilt comes from more of a, a sense of lost time uh, because you know back in the day when you were 12 and you had all summer to play Final Fantasy 2 like 8 times in a row or something you know guilt didn't enter into that uh, for me at that time but now that I've got you know a wife a family, I've got a, a daytime job, uh, which sometimes turns into a nighttime job, uh, you know, multiple responsibilities. You know, my, my game time is very limited, and so uh, I find myself usually relegating that to just review assignments or things that I feel like I need to cover for the site. So if I, if I play a game that doesn't have any, any really, you know, quote-unquote redeeming value to it, but I simply like it, like that, that to me is guilty because I feel like I should probably be doing something more productive in terms of a more important game to review or something that's more relevant to what's going on on our website or the blog or something like that. But, you know, like, for example, I mean, Monster Hunter Try is a perfect example. I'm not reviewing that. Um, I didn't get a review copy, so I have no obligation to Capcom to cover it. I just ended up winning a copy, and I didn't even really like it at first, but it did get its hooks into me, and I'm just playing it uh, just because it's fun. And, and that, to me, is a guilty pleasure because I've got, like, Probably three or four things I should be reviewing at the moment. So <laughs> I have a little bit of guilt going on right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, reviewing games, you know, it, it does make it hard to kind of define uh, time to play the games you want to play. And um, especially if you have an assignment that you should be reviewing, but you want to do something else. Um, but mostly, I, I feel like a lot of my, my old interests have kind of fallen by the wayside a little with games because there's such a big time sink. Like I used to watch a lot of movies and I still have Netflix and watch a movie every once in a while, but 
I don't keep up with it nearly as well as I did, you know, two or three years ago. Um, you know, same with it's been too long since I've read a novel. Um, you know, TV shows are hard to keep up with, and and let alone, you know, seeing my friends and maintaining the social life. And I don't even have kids. I don't know how you guys do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I guess maybe that's kind of what I'm getting is that they have a long. Um, Along it, if you're trying to get maybe a story or an emotional um, connection out of them, I feel like the they they have a greater um, time commitment than than other mediums. But there's also something very re- relaxing and therapeutic about it, just being able to zone out. So, I mean, there's definitely redeeming value to that, but it still kind of makes me feel guilty. Where I'm like, I'm just replaying, you know, Bayonetta for the third time when. I have Far Cry 2 that I haven't even touched yet and like heard all these cool, interesting things about that, but I don't want to learn a new like, new controls right now. I just want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, for me, it, it it's definitely, I think, you know, we're all four of us, we, we write about games and, and uh, for Brad and Jeff, it's, it's their jobs, their day jobs. Um, you know, I, I think uh, there is definitely that guilt of Especially on a week like this, you know how many games have come out this week alone. Uh, I think it's it's six or big name games, in, in, including Mario Galaxy Two, just around, uh, just today uh, in America. Uh, so sorry, sit down. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry, yeah, because yeah, yes, I have to wait till June eleventh. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like on a, on a week like this, I, I'm thinking I should be going out and buying Red Dead Redemption so I can talk about it, write about it, or I should be playing Forgotten Sands. I should not be thinking about turning on everybody's golf world tour and spending the the rest of Sunday playing that game when I've learnt all there is to know about that game and, and there's nothing more to say. Um, so there's that that edge, but I think from from my perspective, there's also an edge of I shouldn't be enjoying this game this much, but I am. So, and I think maybe that comes from again from writing about games and, and casting that critical eye. I don't know. Do you do you guys find that uh, when you from a critical perspective, it's there's a sort of you feel like you shouldn't enjoy this game that this much, but you do. I it seems to me um, addictiveness is a is usually thought of as a quality that a game has, right? That if it if it's hooks you in a certain way, that that's probably a good thing. There's something good happening, despite all the other bad things that may be happening in that game. And I think gamers, especially those of us who've been doing it for a long time, maybe we're impatient a little, or maybe we are a little cynical at, t- at times. But I also think sometimes we have a pretty generous spirit when it comes to overlooking flaws when there's something really good inside there, you know? That we're willing to tolerate a fair amount of inconvenience or frustration if that that nugget in there is big enough and gold enough that it's just fun. Um, like Monster Hunter Try, I mean, I, I, actually I'll talk about another couple games in a minute so I promise I won't just like overdo Monster Hunter but uh, there's, I mean, just moving in that game is annoying. I mean, Brad may have a, a similar take on this, but I mean, you can't even aim yourself in the right direction. It's it's really annoying. I just want to talk to somebody and I can't face them. You know, I'm like wiggling my controller back and forth and I just simply cannot face them and hit the button. And same thing with a monster. I'm trying to kill him and I'm headed this way, headed that way. And all I want to do is turn left. It's it's It controls like a PS1 game. Um, and, and there are all kinds of little annoyances like that. But I just don't, dwell on it. I just don't let it get to me because I'm so interested in the other things about it. It's interesting you say that, Michael, because uh, when Sinan was talking, it seemed to me that um, 
part of my job, at least my, my personal job, my personal mission uh, in writing about games is when I find a game that has something that's addictive or something that's positive, I, you know, I, try to, I try to take that out and, and show that to people regardless of the other flaws that it may have. I mean, I think Monster Hunter is a perfect example where the first six hours to me were totally brutally boring and painful and just wretched. And then once I got over that little uh, six-hour hump, it, you know, it really opened up and it got really good. So if I was to review that, I would probably talk about um, you know, like the depth of the customization and the, the the feeling of achievement you get when you finally bring down the big beast that's been bothering you for the last three days or something. I mean, another really good case is, I think, um, Alone in the Dark Inferno, which came out for uh, PS3. Uh, that game got almost universally bad reviews, but I thought it was really brilliant. I mean, I saw some things in that game that were really bold and creative and innovative um, in spite of all the rough edges and, and little mistakes that it made. And so, I mean, for me... I didn't see it as a guilty pleasure because I was addicted to it or because I thought it was fun. I, I rather saw that, that quality and tried to, to support that and communicate that to other people. So instead of it being something that I, I kind of look at as like, well, I'm going to put up with all this other crap because this part is fun. Instead, I'm going to turn that around and say, well, this is a good game because it has XYZ addictive qualities. True, it may have these rough edges, but still, let's celebrate it for what it does right. Right. Um Oh, sorry. Just sorry, I didn't mean to kill the kinds of conversation. <laughs> I was just coming back to that. <laughs> and that is the final word. <laughs> so thanks, okay, guys. thanks yeah. for recording. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, fun. We can get back to playing those guilty games. Um, I don't know. It's 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 interesting that you come come at it from such a sort of uh, there's the finding the sort of the positive in, in the in the in the in the negative and. Uh, is it, and again, when you first mentioned story, I, I don't think I have a guilty pleasure game that would have any story in it. I don't think any of my any of my guilty pleasure games. I don't, don't know if that's the right word even to describe them, but uh, they they wouldn't have story in it because I'd still see some. You can you know, there's something to talk about there in, in a narrative. But there's all of them are, are usually games where there, there isn't very much at stake actually. <laughs> um, so say like uh, say like everybody's golf world tour, which is very uh, light-hearted and and uh, casual, but if you really want it to, it can be uh, a monstrously addictive game. You can just put it in and, and think, oh, just one, just one more round. Oh, just one more round again. I'll try and beat my my top score. Uh, same with sort of Super Street Fighter Four. It's it's just fight after fight and just wondering, will I will I beat the next guy? And it, I forget about that guy. Move on to the next guy, and it, it's 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 complete fluff. I'm not thinking at all during these games, but and that's kind of where I I feel guilty about it. That uh, it's not that it's not important or serious. It's that I really am totally not. I, I just yeah, it's completely brainless. I guess is is how I look at it. It's 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 it is just pure fun, and and maybe that I, I find it difficult to come to a game like that after talking about them so much in a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a critic uh, to just and, and as someone who's trying to talk about games more seriously you know trying to look at, at, at you know comparing them to other mediums and looking for things that are deep and, and worth talking about I find it I find it troubling to play a game just for fun anymore and that's, that's the honest truth about it from my perspective so I guess my, my guilty pleasure games are really ones which are just purely about the fun I probably come from, from a similar perspective writing about games, um, especially doing my, not to plug myself or anything, but the Challenging Conventions article I do at TGR where I have to come with a new topic idea every couple of weeks, which isn't that frequently, but still, it's, there are times where I just kind of like get writer's block and I'm like, 
and then I feel especially guilty for playing an old game that I am playing for the upteenth time when I could be playing something new or something current. And I think if if I'm not going to get a new idea out of this, maybe or if I'm not thinking about it critically or in a new way, I think that's kind of where it, it becomes a guilty pleasure for me. It's funny. I think we sometimes um, apply a kind of an imperative that's not really there, but we, we make it up in our heads. Um, I play baseball games a lot, and those tend to have a certain kind of trajectory where you're beginning a season, and you've built a league, and you're building a team or whatever, and you've got to get to the end. And I, I have these feelings sometimes. I, I play a certain game called Out of the Park Baseball, and I've played it for many years, um, that if I don't play it, that my team needs me. <laughs> that I, it's time for me to play a few games because I've got to help get to the pennant. And these guys are just waiting around for me to jump in and play, um, which is an absurd kind of way of thinking about it, I suppose. But because maybe there is a narrative element there, but it, it feels to me like um, there are times when if I haven't played that game for a while, I need to play it. It's time for me to play it because it's been too long since I have played it. And then I feel better <laughs> after I've won a few games or done a few important things, and then I can go away and do other things for a while. Does that make any sense? It makes too much sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I feel that way about about Super Street Fighter Four and, and Street Fighter Four before it. I, but from my perspective, it's uh, it's actually to do with how good I am at the game. So if I feel if I, if I leave it for too long, well, I'm going to get bad, and then that means when I go back to it next time, I'm going to be I'm going to have forgotten everything, and I'm going to lose online, and it's all going to be disastrous. And I'm going to be miserable when I play it. So I get into this whole kind of almost training perspective with it. <laughs> it's it, it almost becomes um, there's almost a kind of a work to it in a way, which is so strange when I'm I'm purely playing it for fun. But it I I don't know. I, I guess. I'm kind of contradicting myself because I, I as much as there, there isn't anything at stake at, at a game like Super Street Fighter 4 and, and and everybody's Golf World Tour, that there is something I find within it that that's important and that that's worth playing it for. So I, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm kind of creating a kind of narrative as well with these games. Well, you worked hard to to develop those skills, and so why should you let them just degenerate? You know, it, if you practice every once in a while, you can keep your skills up. And that feels good. Uh, you know, you earned those skills. But those skills aren't going to, say, get me <laughs> a job tomorrow <laughs> with a big publication or are going to help my relationship with my girlfriend when, I, when she finds me 3 o'clock in the morning <laughs> playing my 150th fight in a row. It, it, <laughs> it, it, I mean, that's, that was a real problem for me with Everybody's Golf World Tour. I got hugely addicted to the online component of that game because it's, it's surprisingly fierce. Um, the, once you get into the sort of upper echelons of that that game, there are people who really play seriously and care a lot. And there was a, a kind of a two-week period where I was amongst them and getting into that. Get it, and it became it became hugely important to to be competing with these guys. And it was disastrous because there were a couple of nights when I just didn't sleep. Played that game throughout the night, and then like it was at seven o'clock in the morning, thinking, oh, "Okay, I have to go to work, and I haven't slept, and I've, all I've done is play this game all." All night, and it, uh, there's you know everybody's golf all tour. That that <laughs> it's not even a proper golf game. It's got <laughs> it's got so many, so many ridiculous sort of cutesy visuals and uh, kind of silly ways of playing the game. And yet I was taking I was treating it like it was you know PGA Tour 
10 or even just a real PC <laughs> that kind of level of uh, training to it so I think for me it's, it's a competitive game which shouldn't be important or serious those are the ones that tend to suck me in it sounds to me, Sinan, like like the the brainless, the the guilty pleasure fun that you were kind of referencing earlier can only come as a result of all that hard work. I mean, I played a little bit of Street Fighter Four. I mean, I used to be a really big fighting game uh, fanatic, but I, I fell out of it. And like you said, if you don't play those uh, often enough, your skills definitely atrophy. So when I got back into, well, quote unquote, got back into Street Fighter Four. I was getting my rear end handed to me, like you know. I mean, it would the matches would be over in a matter of seconds compared to the people who practice all the time online. And to me, that wasn't fun. So that would never have been a guilty pleasure game for me. But it sounds like, from what you're describing, that the the brainless, fun, addictive quality it can only come when you win or when you get good. I mean, I, I sincerely doubt that you would call it a, a guilty pleasure if you were getting your ass handed to you every five minutes online. You know, so maybe that's a lot of work, a lot of dedication. But at the same time. Once you get over that hill of keeping your skills up, then that's when you hit your 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 brainless fun zone. I mean, it's kind of like a. It seems like it should be something easier, something that you should be able to just sink into. But at the same time, it's it's at such a high level of competition that you have to work in order to relax and have fun. You know, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it definitely does. I mean, it kind of takes me back to playing Super Mario Kart for the first time uh, when I was twelve, thirteen, and uh, you know, at first I played that game just. For fun, it's just a, a harmless sort of kart racing game, and then uh, I realised that I was pretty good at it. <laughs> and um, uh, I then realised that I was doing the, the sort of time trial component of that game and uh, getting really, really good at it. Getting to the point where I knew that I wasn't too far off the world record time for one of the laps on the first the first circuit. Because uh, there's a show here, and the, the, there was a show here in the UK called Games Master, and they had they had the guy who had the world record time come on and, and show it to the world and. Uh, I realised, okay, I'm, I'm really close to this guy, um, and I I played that relentlessly, and so yeah, that that definitely seems to sort of hit home that uh, I I seem to 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 get that from I don't know, really putting a lot of time into a game and getting very good at it, which I don't know what that says about me. I'm kind of worried to delve into that too too much further, so maybe we should <laughs> explore other people's kind of uh, sort of dedication to gaming. I I, I do want to come back to, to Monster Hunter Tree because it is interesting because. You know, so many people are playing it in in Japan, and it's it is now growing in the West slowly. As a, a, there's more and more people talking about it and playing it. Uh, what it, what is it about about that game that hooks you in, Michael? And and and, and the same question to you, kind of Brad, as someone who's getting hooked into it now. Well, I'll tell you. I think for me personally, part of it initially was just about discovery, and I think a lot of us have that, you know, in us when we play games. It feels good to discover a game. A game that, like a lot of people, aren't talking about. That's not getting blown up on Twitter. It, I got it right away after it came out, and purely because um, I wanted to try a Monster Hunter game on the Wii, I thought that would be a, an interesting thing. And uh, it had a kind of a negative experience with the PSP version that I'd played. And I'm a, I might have read a review or, or two that said that this was pretty good or a preview or something. But I felt like I was discovering it, and I wasn't being guided through the game by anybody. And so that process of kind of slowly realizing, um, wow, this is like a really good game. And it's also incredibly well designed. Um, that was part of it for me. But then I think what kept me um, was just this sense that if I devoted time to the game, my skills evolved purely through my own effort. That what I really like about Monster Hunter is that you don't level up, really. 
I mean, you get a monster, you get a hunter rating online, which designates that you're getting better as a player online, but it doesn't really mean anything about you being more powerful. Um, you, your character does not level up. You don't get more powerful. You can get more powerful stuff, and you, you get access to that stuff by, through your own skills, by, by winning and by making smart choices about how you want to use your equipment. And that opens up access to other equipment or other things you can do to be smart, to get uh, stronger um, with, with your combo of stuff. And that just really appealed to me. It's, I've always liked RPGs, and it has that kind of RPG system of getting better, but it's not like the game just hands it to you. And suddenly I've played for X amount of time, and I've traveled X amount of distance, so now I'm level 8 or now I'm level 9. And so I'm stronger. Um, and I guess in that kind of Demon Souls sort of way, another game that I loved, it feels like it's me and the game, and the game doesn't give me much, and I kind of like that. Interesting. I think I'm kind of coming at it from a different angle. Um, I definitely relate to what you're saying, Michael, but for me, my initial draw was that I like big monsters, and the thought of killing big monsters sounds really cool to me, <laughs> so that was pretty much all I was looking for. Yeah, and that's um, big. That's important. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of cool, you know, dinosaurs and, like, sea serpents and all that stuff. Um, I, I blogged about this a little bit because I, I originally got hooked with the first Monster Hunter only to, like, part ways in a really negative sense from it because I just I had too many issues with it and I, I stopped enjoying what it was doing. Stayed away from the PSP version because I just could not fathom how anything on the PSP could be better with, uh, you know, the control setup that it has. And I, I figured, like you, I had heard a number of people say that this one had some market improvements, so I figured maybe this would finally be the time to get back into it. Um, and honestly, I mean, from a critical perspective, there's like a million things wrong with this game. I mean, it's, it's so rough. It's about on par with an early PS2 game in terms of like production and, and control schemes and animation and things like that. I mean, it's really, really, really behind the times. I mean, if I was to really tear this game apart, there wouldn't be anything left because there's just a lot wrong with it. But there is definitely truth in what Michael is saying in the fact that the player is kind of left to their own device as to whether they succeed in the world or not. Um, there's a lot that you have to kind of figure out. And there is definitely an addictive quality when it comes to like getting the better equipment. Uh, you know, you get this this big axe, and you think, "Wow, I'm going to really cut something up with this." And then you find out that, "Hey, this big axe really doesn't do all that much." So if I collect X, Y, Z items, I can I can increase its power, and then I'm going to come back, and then I'm going to start cleaning up. And then you know, you get that one level up, and you get some success, and it kind of feeds that thrill of, "Oh, okay, I feel a lot better about what I'm doing. I feel successful, so I want to keep going." And so it kind of feeds that whole collect increase you know it's a it's it's a grind for sure i mean i think the core of monster hunter is about grinding in different ways but monster hunter try is really good to me because they've actually given the player a lot of shortcuts that you can take advantage of and so it's not like so soul crushingly tedious as it has been in the past so even though there's a lot i really would like to fix about it um i definitely agree that once you get past that initial like rough patch of like the extended tutorial and a lot of like failure that hand that gets handed to you um, it really does open up, and there's there's real potential there. Although, having said that, I really, really, really hope that Capcom will just pull out all the stops, pour a bunch of money into it, and like fix the animation, fix the controls, fix the world design. I mean, basically, I guess I'm wanting them to create a different game than what it is. <laughs> but <laughs> but but still, I do I do recommend Monster Hunter Try for anybody who has that kind of addiction or who can who's looking for an addiction to feed. I guess. 
I, I think he, uh, yeah, I think Brad just n- nails it. I th- I, the thing to me is it's odd collision of like incredible refinement and unbelievable sloppy, unrefined <laughs> aspects. That it, it just doesn't seem like the game um, is a game made in this generation of, of consoles. It, it, it feels like an old game sort of put on the Wii uh, and doesn't push the Wii very hard at all. Um, and it's, I think part of it too is that you um, maybe you overlook certain things because it's a multiplayer Wii game online, and you're, it blows your mind. <laughs> and I'm playing online with other players with no lag. It's it's perfectly solid, and it's it's a Wii. You know, uh, <laughs> it, it, there's just not a library of games that one can play online with with other players, and that online experience is is really really good. Um, it, it's got a little bit of a wow feeling in the sense that you really have to rely on each other you really need to cooperate you need to communicate and it in the heart of a battle when it's touch and go and maybe you've had two deaths and you're teetering on the brink of the third which eliminates you there's real drama there and it's also a very friendly place uh and i that sort of more and more matters to me i find when i I just don't have the patience to deal with jerks like i used to and i've i've really had very few situations online where people have behaved you know, in a way that makes me want to jettison them. So, so let me ask you about Monster Hunter. You've you've compared it to Demon Souls, which had me very, very interested, and it looked kind of similar. You also compared it to WoW, which I've never played and just could not have any less interest in for whatever reason. And I'm wondering, does does Monster Hunter does it have an ending, or is it one of those games where you just keep playing until you can kill the biggest creature, and then you just keep roaming around and kill more big creatures? I. I'm not sure the answer, quite honestly, because I'm not probably nowhere near it. But uh, I mean, I think you can collect everything there is to collect. And yeah, I think can... I, I, I know it's a totally arbitrary thing, but just hearing you guys talk about it, like that's something that that matters for me. That that makes something addicting. I, I don't know why. Like it, it shouldn't matter, even if I don't care about the story. I just there's something about like having a very specific goal. You know, hitting the end credits, and then I usually stop. And whenever a game doesn't have an ending, like, you know, Viva Pinata or an Animal Crossing, I can just never get that into it. Because maybe it just, it, it says to me that it's a waste of time if there's, if there's no clear stopping point, I guess. Right. Oh, I totally, I totally understand what you're saying. I refuse to play any game that doesn't have an end point because, because of that exact reason. Because it's a time sink. Because there will be no feeling of completion or of satisfaction that I've, I've completed what was set out before me. Uh, so I don't get it. We play do have, do have endings, and there's still time scenes, and we still know that they're not giving us anything new, or we're replaying. Well, totally, them. but at least you can look forward to credits. You know, for me, that's it. Yes. If, if a game has credits that I can trigger, then I'm going to call that an ending, and then that is is telling me that I'm done with this game. I can put it down, and I can move on to something else. And just just uh, so you know, I haven't done it myself, but I I did ask somebody that exact question before I even considered playing Monster Hunter. And people online have told me that you can complete the offline single-player portion and that there is, you know, some kind of an ending to signal that, hey, you finished all of the offline stuff. So then, you know, obviously the online doesn't have an ending, but, you know, you can, according to GameFAQs and the, and the wise sages there on the boards, uh, you can, you know, quote-unquote, complete the game. Yeah, and you're, pr- and it, you're probably smart to play the, the single-player. I think a lot of people want to jump right into multiplayer, and that makes sense. But the single-player functions essentially as a tutorial and uh, you're fully in the game so it doesn't feel like a tutorial but all the stuff you learn there you bring over to the multiplayer game and 
I always hope that I'm playing online with people who've, who've at least spent a little time in single player because they don't know what they're doing otherwise. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's like two different games. I mean, the single player campaign is technically, the, you know, in terms of the, how the system works and what you're doing, it's, it's the same stuff. But when you go online and you're playing with other human beings, well, for one thing, the world is, is more dangerous. The monsters are harder to kill, a lot harder to kill. Uh, but you're also having to use strategies that you don't need to deal with when you're by yourself. I was just asking, how much do you think it relies on other people? Because I usually, I'm just used to playing games single player and not, I, I don't know why, I just have this mentality that I don't like really to work with other people that much when I play games. Unless it's like a split-screen co-op, I, I do enjoy being in the same room with somebody and going through a campaign together. But uh I'm just playing with strangers online just for whatever reason doesn't appeal to me that much. And I'm wondering, how do you think it holds up just purely as a single-player game? Well, I'm, I'm playing the single-player uh, only so far. I haven't gone online yet. I figured I would get used to the system and collect some good stuff. I didn't want to be like the greenest noob on the block when I showed up online. Um, so I've only put about, well, maybe about 12 hours into the single-player. haven't touched online and once I got past the initial learning curve, it's been fine. It's been just like any other kind of single-player game. I've been enjoying it, you know, very well, and it, it compares favorably to something like that. So I'm, I'm just like you in that I don't like to play with strangers. I mean, I've made uh, some contacts through Twitter for people who would want to do m- online with me later on once I'm ready. But I think as a single-player experience so far, it's been fine. I haven't really, like, felt like the game has been lacking. I mean, I'm sure it's better with people that you know, but I haven't had that experience yet. So, uh, and, I, and I'm okay with that. I'm, I, I've been liking it. Yeah, it's, uh, the thing about single player, I mean multiplayer, is, is that um, you, it's sort of a multiplayer game for people who don't like multiplayer games or dealing with other people. If, if you're going to play a game multiplayer, it seems to me this could be the one that might appeal if any would. And that's because you really don't interact very much. Most people don't use WeSpeak. It's a pretty abysmal, actually. Uh, I tried it, and it's horrible. Um, so most people just use keyboards, and the communication happens in very tight little text windows. You can only type so many characters before it doesn't allow anymore. So the communicating you do is very spare. And really, um, you're working with other people, but it's not like you're trying to... Um, set up a party and go, go to a lobby and all this sort of stuff that can be annoying. You just jump in, you're put into the match, and off you go. And, you know, if they're decent people, uh, decent fighters, it's a lot of fun. save a significant amount of cash. Then get down to the communities and play online with friendly and respectful gamers, such as those at the Ninja Fat Pigeons. To find out more about your games, you can check out GamerDog and the Gamer Scene, where news and discussion will keep you well informed. And for those who like to dig deep, there's Big Red Potion, where you can get some serious and in-depth analysis of the games that you love.
confirmation bias a little. Because Brad, you mentioned how a lot of time you'll be you'll play a game even if it feels broken a lot of ways, if it has something interesting. And I knew it was going to come up at one point. That, so the, the example I'd want to use would be Zelda. And I've this podcast, and other people there weren't so keen on on the direction that series has gone, how it's been basically remakes of Ocarina of Time for the last 13 years. Uh, whereas Michael and I both really like Spirit Tracks, and I I wanted this debate to happen. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> curious about what, um, what you take of a, a series like that that maybe isn't trying to innovate, and is that... Is there any value to that, or is it... I, I guess, Brad, what I'm trying to ask is, my, are Michael, is there something wrong with Michael and I for liking this? <laughs> Tell us, Brad. No, that's not a loaded question. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I think I get what you're, you're getting at. I mean, I think I have kind of two answers. So on the one hand, I do appreciate the fact that there is Zelda there or something Zelda-like, um, because I think one thing that's really kind of unique to the games industry is that we don't really have old classics laying around. I mean, we kind of do now that we can download so many things, but there are still a lot of games that are just left in the past. And and having kids, this comes up for me because I often have to uh, scour my games library. I mean, I keep most of my games, so I have uh, quite a number of games laying around. And whenever, you know, my, my oldest son is home or, uh, you know, something like that, he'll want to play something, and I can't really whip out the latest and greatest because most oftentimes it's not appropriate. So I have to kind of go back and, you know, the PS1 days or the PS2 days and dig out, oh, okay, Dad's got a copy of Sly Cooper here, or, oh, Dad's got the first uh, Ratchet and Clank or something like that. Um, so from that perspective, I appreciate that there is something that is Zelda-like, that is, you know, available and approachable. And I think that there is definitely a place for games that kind of rehash the same territory, but they're really polished and well done, because you just need to have those things around for people who are just getting into games. I mean, you can't, you can't just be on the cutting edge all the time, because you're going to leave behind all the kids, all the newcomers, all the people who don't have that same taste that you do. So I'm really glad that it's there. Um, now, from my personal, like, critical taste perspective, I'm, like, so over and done and past bored with Zelda, like, I can't even even begin to describe it. I mean, I played all the original games, and I, I, you know, I recognize the series for what it is. I give it props for everything it's done, and I, you know, I have much respect for it. But at the same time, to me, I can't even play Zelda games anymore because I get so incredibly bored and so turned off by the lack of innovation and just, like, the repetition of the themes and the repetition of the ideas and the same motifs and I just like it just makes me want to scream I mean I tried to get into like uh, Twilight Princess and I stopped after a couple hours I tried playing Phantom Hourglass and I couldn't stand that either so for me personally Zelda is dead and buried I mean unless they completely revamp it in some major way I have like no interest whatsoever in revisiting that series but I'm glad that it's there for people who don't feel like I do I kind of want to turn the question on its head then after after what Brad said I want to ask Michael and Jeffrey what, what are your reasons for coming back to Zelda constantly even though I don't know if Michael would want to admit it as well, but Jeff, Jeff pretty much admitted it there that it is so lacking in innovation. What what drives you to play those games, and why do you enjoy them so much? You know, I, I think that when I first got into video games, you know, Mario and Zelda were like my the two games I really got into when I was a child, and I didn't get back to them till later. And um, it was like when the GameCube was reached a hundred bucks and came with that Zelda Collector's Edition that had a then sixty four Zeldas, and I'm like, hey, this would be a great way to to catch up on the the two games interested me most in the last seven years. So, so I did that, and there's just something about their, their mixture of exploration, combat, and puzzle solving, which are like my, the three things that I've always loved doing in video games the most. Um, 
you know, if anything about Zelda is I get really excited for those games. I really enjoy them. They're having their hooks totally while they're happening. But I hardly ever go back and replay them. And maybe it's... It, they're a very fleeting thing just because they're very reliant on puzzles. And once you know the answer, it's not that much fun to do again. At least not for several years until you've forgotten most of the, um, the puzzles. But... So, so I never really expect a Zelda game to bowl me over. Because I for all the reasons that Brad was saying, they are all basically the same game, you know, with maybe a little exception for Majora's Mask, which is kind of odd, but uh, every time they come out, they, I'm always surprised at, at how much of a kid I still am, at how much this still connects with me, even though it's the same, the same thing I've been doing, you know, since I was five. And, and I, I'm not sure that I have a really good answer for that, just because the, the puzzles are clever and, I like the bosses, and, like, it works. Like, I'm not opposed to them changing it, but I I never complain when they don't, either. I just can't. I'm, I'm still trying to get over Brad making me cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, have to, I'll owe you an apology dead. after the show. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> dead. <laughs> I... I mean, I, I understand that. I, people, that seems to be the take on, on the Zelda series, that it's, it's just repetitive and it's endlessly the same. And, um, and I, I mean, granted, I think there are things that the series has been clinging to that it probably needs to rethink. Um, but uh, I find the games charming, uh, and I don't, I don't find myself thinking, oh my god, not this, this again. I find myself kind of looking forward to reentering the world of the games, and um, I, I, I think it's an unfair, uh, unfair assessment of the Zelda games that they are sort of rigidly stuck in this kind of everything's uh, Ocarina of Time redux. Uh, Majora's Mask was was not at all the same. Uh, Wind Waker, I think, is wildly innovative. I mean, if you look at that game, what they did with that game, and I mean, in the face of tremendous opposition from their fan base. Uh, I think that game is is like a little miracle, frankly, uh, Wind Waker, uh, that it even happened. Um, and I think the DS games are still among the best uh, implementations of that hardware. Uh, sort of how how do you put a game on that hardware and use that hardware in in, in thoughtful ways, in ways that are clever and that that give the player a challenge. Um, I think the portable Zeldas often have been terrific. Um, and I, I think as an iteration on Phantom Hourglass, which I think was a pretty good game, not, not a great Zelda game, I think Spirit Tracks was, you, know, you can see where they, they improved um, stuff that I think was annoying about, the, about Phantom Hourglass. They cleaned it up, um, made it a lot easier, and, and made it more sense to sort of traverse the, the dungeons, and got rid of the repetitiveness. Um, and I, I don't know, to me, the... the the challenge that the game presents, they have this wonderful way of finding that middle place between um, making it impossible but giving you a real challenge with, with the bosses and that they ramp up in, in interesting ways, that there's an interesting, I think, well-designed kind of uh, track that you take from the beginning to the end of the game that it, it gets a little harder and a little harder as it goes along in ways that I think most games fail at. Um, so I don't know. I the game has always, to me, embraced a certain kind of childlike wonder about the world, and maybe I'm just a sucker for that. Um, but I, I've always found that the Zelda games have a unique 
ability to go to that place where other games try it and it's cloying, it's, uh, it's stupid, it's simple-minded, or it's whatever. And the, the Zelda games just seem to, to strike the right tone to me uh, in that way. To second that, I agree that they do a really great job at exploration. I remember when Okami came out, it, it really bowled me over. It's one of my favorite games of all time, and I, I tried replaying it, and I still like the game a lot. But one thing that bugged me a little is there's too many little things to collect that do, do nothing. Whereas in Zelda, like pieces of heart are really useful, and each one is, is, or almost each one, is very interesting to find. Like You have to kind of think outside the box a little to do that. And I feel like they do a really good job at, at having a lot of optional mental challenges that won't impede your progress if you don't want to do them, but offer a little bit extra for... For those looking for that, yeah, the, you're right. They do just scale up beautifully, not just in the combat and the bosses, but as your your arsenal becomes um, bigger in, in terms of the tools. Once you have the hook shot and the bombs and the fire arrows, you can start roaming around the world and picking up new things you can interact with, and it's just it's so much fun. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't presume to contend that they aren't formulaic because I mean, they are and I, I understand that you know you've you've got to get the boomerang you got to get there's a certain order these things happen in you know it's coming so granted that's that's the case and I do think they they ought to rethink some of that stuff but um, you know they're very musical games too I love the music in the in 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 the Zelda games and the way they use music the way that the the pan flute for example is used in this game uh, in spirit tracks um, that it that it adds to the kind of the flavor and the spirit of the game and it requires you to sort of pay attention to what you're doing. Uh, and, you know, like little things. I mean, the, they, the, the idea of Zelda possessing uh, one of the, you know, phantom guards, and you have to figure out from the player's perspective, you can direct the phantom and draw the stylus path to get her sort of safely through an area uh, and links in another place. And just in terms of puzzle solving, I liked it. I thought that was a really cool kind of idea and a different way of using the hardware and... Um, I had, you know, it stumped me a couple times, and, uh, and I hadn't seen it in a Zelda game before. So, you know, they always throw in a little something, I think. <laughs> I, I hate to be the hater on the show, but it's going to be my, my role this time around. But, I mean, I don't disagree with what you guys are saying, but at the same time, I think that it does have that wonderful curve, and it does capture that spirit, because Nintendo's had so many times to practice and at it. I mean, there's, like, there's like 47 Zelda games or something like that. And, I mean, to me, I mean... Like I said, I'm glad that they're there, and I'm really glad that this is an option, because Zelda is something I would certainly give to my son when he is, is interested in something like that. But at the same time, for me, it feels too samey, too iterative. I mean, every step up is only like a half step away from something they've done before. So, I mean, just for me personally, and, and not to take away from what Zelda has achieved, it's, it is dead. Although, I guess, more technically, I think Link is dead, because Zelda doesn't really see all that much action. So, the series, to me, is done. But The question is, which Zelda would you, would you give him, Brad? My son? Yeah. Gosh, you know, honestly, I think I probably would go with... Um, I would either do... You know, I, I want to say I want to say Wind Waker, because that was the last one that I really enjoyed. Um, I haven't really enjoyed a Zelda since Wind Waker, and I thought it was really well done. I do want to give credit to Wind Waker. Um, and everything in that game, except for that 11th hour cruise around the world looking for those uh, <laughs> map pieces or whatever that was, was, that was junk. But the rest of it was pretty brilliant, so I would probably give yep. him that one. I had not experience with that. The, the first time I played Wind Waker was when I was first getting back into games. And like a lot of people, I hated that, that third act where you're just roaming around doing the fetch quest. But I went back to it years, like a year or two ago, 
And, and that incidentally ended up being my favorite part because usually I, I didn't like to, get, to stray from the main path that much because I didn't want to just hit a dead end and have to come back later. So I waited till I went to all the temples, got all the tools, and I was taking notes the entire time. You know, I was inspired by Phantom Hourglass, I believe, to, to replay it. So, you know, I was feeding all the fish and taking the, making notes of each little hint about every little square and on, on the map and just going to everyone, kind of treating it like as, like as an actual pirate and trying to find everything. And then I really liked the, the third act of that when it, it almost felt like Oblivion-like, like I was kind of aimless and didn't have to, I wasn't in a rush to see the final <laughs> boss this time. So... Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was just gonna say the word "aimless" applied to any game to me is like is like a death sentence. I just... hmm. well, and I think people react. Uh, one of the fun, I think, kind of uh, separators when you talk to gamers about certain parts of a Zelda game would be the the sailing in Wind Waker. That m- people who hate that and they hate it viscerally, you know, um, ver- very much see see that and what that means and what that's about in the game differently than those of us who found it really interesting and, and meaningful. That it takes a while to get from one place to the, ne- to the next, and you have, to, you have to chart your course, and you have to go there. And part of the time spent in that boat is time spent in the boat, right? That you're going to a place, and you can slow down, you can change your path, you can go look at something else, you can fish, you can do whatever, but ultimately that traveling is part of the game. And you know, for some players, and I totally get this, like, look, I just want to go from here to there. Don't make me do the stupid water thing, you know? But I'm, it, it felt like the way one traverses in that game, and it's beautiful, by the way. The art style in that game is to die for, I think. Um, and it just felt like the right way in that game to go from one place to the next. It was very seamless, too. I just remember being wowed that you can get in the boat and leave the island. There was no load screen. And you yeah. see the island disappear off in the horizon, and that still blows my mind. And I, I mean, I think that even big open world games like Fallout Three have a lot of pop in with the, you know, the trees and the wasteland and, and everything. And I, if I recall correctly, Wind Waker hardly had any of that. Like it looks as good, if not better, now than it did at the time, or at least it's, it's aged, you know, gracefully enough that it looks as good as a lot of Wii games now. It's great that you uh, you bring up Fallout 3 because there was a, a recent joystick preview for um, Fallout New Vegas and they they mis uh, uh, misreported that it was going to drop the fast travel feature uh, from Fallout 3. So you'd have to you'd have to wander your way from each town to each town and uh, that big long uh, wasteland to traverse. And interestingly enough, like Michael's saying, some people were very critical <laughs> about this misreport and were saying, well, you can't drop that. And there were some people who were applauding it who said, yeah, good, I, w- I think everyone should have to travel, it's the best part of the game, to, to make a way around the wasteland, which is it's bizarre to me. But I, you know. <laughs> Well, and to be fair, Nintendo does throw you a bone. I mean, you can, there is fast traveling in, in Wind Waker, and, and people can use it if they want, uh, and I would imagine most do. I, I, so listening to you, to you guys debate Zelda, I, I find myself somewhere between Brad and, and Michael and Jeff. Uh, I, I still play every Zelda game when it comes out, but I don't enjoy them as much as I used to. Uh, interestingly, though, and I, I know, Michael, you, you recently blogged about this, and I, I did as well, um, I'm more forgiving of the same qualities in Pokemon games, because I think Pokemon are, is an even worse example of a, of a series that has failed to evolve from its first game to now, apart from 
very superficial things and things that are just kind of in, in things that have come with the industry. So you so you look at the latest Pokemon and most of its its changes are, are to do with the DS having online capabilities or uh, the, the visual things. The, two, the sort of, I'm thinking really of, of uh, the games before Heart Gold and, and Soul Silver. Um, I guess again with the, with the Game Boy Advance, there was, was a bit of that as well. But really, there isn't there isn't much advancement through those games from 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 Red and Yellow and Blue to all the way to to Heart Gold and Soul Silver, and yet so many people come back to those games. Uh, what I I kind of want to go to, to, to Michael on this because you did you did blog about it, and I I think specifically sort of talking about the lack of evolution in the series. Well, what why are you forgiving of uh, the Pokemon games for not really innovating? Well, I think they they do innovate a little bit each time, and typically it's that one little thing they do, and it's it's not a game changer by any means. I mean, it's the Pokey Walker, you know. Right. <laughs> but it's actually a very cool little device. It's very clever. Um, I took to it right away. Now, having said that, I got a big Pokemon kind of craze, and hit it hard, and played it really hard, and enjoyed it uh, all over again, and then I put it away. And I'm not playing it anymore. Um, but there's something about the primitive nature of the gaming that it, it gets at a lot of the reasons why we've played video games for a long, long time. It gives you this steady stream of, of rewards and incentivizes progress in ways that few games have uh, surpassed. And it does so in a game that you can put in your pocket and play in 10-minute bursts. Um, and it's got a trading element, so there's a social thing that you can take advantage of, and I think that is a hook for a lot of people. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's just solid as a rock. I mean, you can look at that, and there's nothing wrong with that game. It, it, I mean, some people may like or dislike certain things, but it's just this absolutely core design that's as solid as a rock and it, it you know exactly what you're going to get and that's not always a bad thing yeah i would agree with that i mean i think pokemon is the the ultimate example of of the kind of game i was referring to earlier that you want to have on hand for your kids it's a known quantity it's something that you can go back to reliably but in terms of examining like game development and pushing the medium forward it's not something you're going to hold up as an example of so i mean yeah i mean i i played pokemon uh several years ago and I kept waiting for Nintendo to like push it to the next level and they haven't and it was kind of surprising to me that they didn't although it's such a gold mine I mean I can kind of understand why but I haven't come back to it and I haven't had any real interest but again my son you know he loves it and it's something that he's really into so it's one of those I'm glad it's there and I like it for that but again it's it's kind of stagnant and frozen so for me personally it's not something I'm coming back to but I definitely can see the appeal of it You know, and this may seem like a tangent, but I, I don't mean it to be. I think games that, that have that core thing going and then people decide it needs to have more, it needs to go deeper, it needs to innovate, it needs to do whatever. You can look at the racing game genre and see what, what that, what's happened there. Uh, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not arguing against innovation here at all. Right? I love innovation as much as the next guy, but um, I think... I think racing games over the recent years have kind of painted themselves into a corner 
by becoming so complex and so difficult and so fiddly that they've alienated a large segment of the gaming population that used to love racing games. And I think it's no accident that you see uh, games like um, uh, Split Second and uh, this new PS3 game, Mod Nation Racers, which I've been playing, uh, and they seem like a total antidote to that, that they're, they're, they're reminding us that racing games used to be a lot of fun, and they, they were accessible. Um, and again, I'm not arguing there's, there's a crowd of people who love, you know, the, 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 the games that have a very strong customizing every single element of it and real physics and all that. But uh, at a certain point, I think it just felt to me like racing games became a whole lot of work and not much fun. And uh, now we're rebounding from that, I think. Yeah, the one that I really got into was Burnout Paradise. And I'm not usually a big racer, but that game just really got me. Like, I was playing it. It's pretty much almost the only game I played for like a month at one point. And I, I... don't know why. I mean, I, I, I can kind of tell you why. It's just exhilarating the sense of speed. Um, I don't typically listen to music that much in my day-to-day life because when I'm reading and writing, I just can't multitask enough to listen to music. Um, but reading games is like my excuse to rock out. <laughs> you know, just upload my own stuff on my PS3 and, and you know, just drive around listening to music and smashing up cars and class <laughs> with that. Totally. I totally agree. I mean, I totally agree with having that stuff be accessible and fun. And I don't want to make it sound like anything that's not pushing the edge is bad, because that's not how I feel at all. I mean, but I mean, for me, from my personal perspective of, of playing all these games, it's like, you know, you cover a certain ground, and, and for me anyway, I don't really want to cover it again. So that's why I personally am driven to kind of go for these different experiences and the fringe games and stuff like that. That's just my thing personally. But I definitely think we need to always have on hand, like, accessible things, really solid well-polished things, things that are appropriate for a wide range of players. I mean, I'm all for that. So I just don't want people to think that, you know, I'm, I'm against, like, you know, accessible experiences or anything like that, because that's, that's just not true. But uh, for me, in terms of what we cover at the site and for what I enjoy playing, yeah, I'm kind of at the extreme edge. And I, and I admit that. I mean, I, I recognize that. Well, it would be interesting to see, and I think this has got to be a really, really tough design challenge. How could Nintendo make a game, a Zelda game, that would make you happy and would make me happy? That, that, that's, to me, that's like the real golden ticket there. If they could answer that question, and I think it's a possible thing to do, enough, you know, break, break the formula a little bit and give us different things to do, but retain the world and retain um, the, the kind of, uh, the way that the, the game has this kind of an interesting facility for transporting us to a place that's nothing like our own world, but which sort of is. Um, but but break the formula and see what else we could do. I, I don't know. It seems possible to me. Okay, I, I was just thinking, I, I know all three of us are big fans of Demon Souls, and I was thinking maybe kind of merge that with Zelda, have items but don't have them be in the dungeons, <laughs> have us, you can find them whenever, not in any specific order. I mean, you could probably even do it with dungeons altogether and make it um, you know, more, more like a, a Metroid game, but with leading you in less of an order, so you can find, you know, Maybe there will be seven key items, you know, like the hook shot and boomerang. But you can find them whenever and use them whenever. Maybe go to an area where you need enemies out of a hook shot and you don't have it yet, so you can't go there and kind of have to, to feel your way around it, which is re- really what the first Zelda was like, and they kind of got away from that and linked to the past by making them a little bit more hand-holdy and letting you, uh, they're kind of guiding you a bit more. 
It would be very interesting to have a Zelda experience where every encounter with an Octorok could be potentially fatal. Yeah. My my go-to answer for what I'd want to to see the Zelda franchise do, I don't know if it necessarily answers the question of what would satisfy both Brad and and Michael and and, and Jeff as well. I, I'm not sure anything would, um, but 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I I would love to see uh, a Zelda MMO. That that would be wonderful for me because it's not necessarily that's where I want to see Zelda go. I just want to see that brought to the MMO sphere. Uh, I want to see that kind of gameplay. And, and see how it would adapt. And I, I just think uh, your, your kind of fantasy MMOs become very predictable and too much about sort of combat and leveling and not about exploration so much anymore and, and, and puzzles. And I think it would be interesting to see how that would work in the, in the MMOs. And I don't know if it's the right move for Zelda. I, I think it, it probably isn't. Uh, I, I think it would be fraught with problems, but it's, it would excite me if, if Nintendo came out and said, we're doing a Zelda MMO. So I, I guess maybe what, what I want to know from you guys is what, what do you think the value is that we're getting from games that um, that we consider to be time sinks? Um, I mean, I'm just thinking for myself personally, as much as I love um, Zelda or games more innovative than Zelda, I generally don't go back through them again, or at least not for, for, for several years. Whereas like a good hack and slash game or beat em up, I might play like three times in a row. I, it's embarrassing, but I think I put like 78 hours in Devil May Cry 4 because I played like five times in a row because it was just, yeah, it's such a great combat system and I was just so into it. And what, um, what do you think of the value of that is or why should we not feel guilty for this? Yeah, no, uh, to, yeah, to the first question. I, it's interesting that you say that because I actually almost never replay a game ever. I mean, I definitely have guilty pleasures in, in the sense of, games that I, I am pretty sure I should not be playing from, from any perspective, and I do anyway. Uh, but I, I don't ever replay anything. And I think the only games in recent memory that I have replayed in like maybe the last decade would have been Demon's Souls, which I actually played, I think, three times back-to-back because I really, really, really enjoyed that game deeply on many levels. And also um, Mass Effect 1, uh, because I enjoyed the story so much in the first Mass Effect that I really wanted to go back and see everything that there was to see and do everything there was to do. So it's a, it's a rarity for me, but in both of those games, I think the thing that really made me come back to them was that real sense of being transported to another place and having an experience that was really enjoyable in the sense that I was able to become so deeply immersed. I mean, with Mass Effect, I think it has one of the best uh, you know, characterizations, uh, groups of characters, and, and the, the story arc is really awesome in Mass Effect 1. And with Demon's Souls, I mean, the atmosphere is everything in that game. I mean, you can't you can't play that game and not be sucked into it because if your head is not in the game, you're going to be dead in like two seconds. <laughs> so in both of those experiences, I felt like they were worth it to me because I just got so deeply entrenched that the, the sense of being transported elsewhere was, was magnificent. I guess maybe I, I wouldn't consider Demon's Souls as a guilty pleasure maybe because I, I did like the world so much. And if, if it was true for that, if maybe it didn't have as great an aesthetic and... Um, Maybe not as good writing, or not that the writing was that great. It was just not insulting. But if it had, you know, terrible voice acting and stupid NPCs and just kind of looked ugly, I wonder if I would have given it as much, uh, um, been willing to spend so much time with it as I did. <laughs> well, just to clarify, though, the first playthrough of Demon Souls was not a guilty pleasure, but the second and third times were. So that's, that's <laughs> okay, where I feel That makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> From my perspective, I think the question kind of answers itself, actually, in the way you phrased it, Jeff. Because uh, 
I still think of why do I watch my favourite film? Why do I go back and uh, watch you know all of the X Files from series one to to ten again? And uh, it's because I, I it just it, it brings about happy memories. And uh, I think the 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 problem with games is that that they 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 are time sinks. They just take too long. Uh, they are much longer than any other medium, apart from maybe books, in terms of an investment for one game. Uh, a typical game these days takes 12 hours. Um, my favourite games usually take a lot longer, because they're usually RPGs. Um, but uh, I, I think you have to make the time, <laughs> otherwise you kind of lose perspective on why, on why you are playing games. And uh, I go back to Final Fantasy X quite often, and, and, and plough for it, just because uh, no other game, I, I've not enjoyed any other game any more than that, and uh, it's, it's as simple as it's my favourite game for me, and I don't I don't feel guilty about going back to a game I've I've, I've played before. Uh, I think you you have to, you know, even if it is going to take up all that time. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and I I wonder if Brad had a similar experience in Demon Souls. I I went back to the first level in the was it Boletarian Palace? Is that what it's called? Right, uh, right. Um, and after I was far stronger than I needed to be, and I would just plow through there again just for the fun of it. I just wanted to face that red-eyed guard, you know, and just have it out with him, because I remembered he him killing me so nastily a bunch of times before. There was something just fun for me about going back, revisiting areas of that game, for because those atmospheres are so incredibly rich and interesting. And I'm finding that I'm having a very similar experience with Red Dead Redemption right now, that I'm I'm having a hard time with the narrative and with the missions and all that stuff, which I haven't decided whether I'm even interested in the narrative or not, the world itself is so compelling to me. I just want to ride my horse and explore and run into things and find stuff. And um, to me, that, that's, that's the hook. That if, if a game can do that to you, if it can give you a reason to play it beyond the reasons that the designer specifically gives you that are gamey, Right? You can apply your own kind of way of playing, or bring your own your own sensibility to it, and then find fun in that play play session. You may never touch on any of the the game elements, quote unquote, of the game, and you still want to be there. Um, that happened to me with uh, Demon Souls, and I think it's happening with Red Dead for me. Good point. Totally agree. For me, that was like Fallout Three. Um, yeah, but I can yeah. happening with, uh, Red Dead Revolver to uh, Red Dead Redemption as well. I guess I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just thinking that a lot of my guilt pleasures are games that I, I just think are really stupid. I mean, like I said, they're usually action games, and I'm not really getting anything out of them playing them the, you know, third and fourth time. But I do it anyway because it's just like, it, it just sa- satisfies something in me that it's just like a really quick, it's a quick fix, you know. Like it doesn't sort of give anything new to think about, which is very relaxing. change i hope our listeners feel the same way um before we go i, I do want to point you in the uh 
direction of all these excellent guys and, and what they do. So I'm going to go to Brad because I clearly don't know what he does, and I think it's important that he tells me as well as his, our listeners what he does again. So, uh, so Brad, get away. Where can people find you, and, and what are you doing there? Uh, well, you can come and check me out. I, I review things pretty regularly at GameCritics.com. I also blog every couple of days at uh, Drinking Coffee Cola over at Blogspot. And uh, we do the Game Critics podcast, which goes up uh, once every two weeks, and we actually just put up a new episode. So come check me out. Excellent stuff. Anything else you'd like to, to shout out to? Uh, I would just like to say that uh, despite our topic today of kind of guilty pleasures I don't really think uh, anybody needs to feel any kind of guilt about gaming I mean I think it's a wonderful thing and as long as you do it in moderation and uh, maintain your personal relationships as well as keep a steady <laughs> job don't feel guilty about anything you're here well said uh, <laughs> Michael how about you uh, what, what are you doing and where are you doing it uh, well I don't know if I can answer that completely but uh, what you can find me, uh, my, my website's uh, brainygamer.com. Um, I also write a monthly column for uh, Gamma Sutra. Um, I'm involved uh, with a couple of my pals uh, on a site called the Vintage Game Club, and we're always looking to play old games and with friendly people who like to talk about them. Um, I'm also involved in a, uh, the, um, the Video Games and Human Values Initiative um, with my friend Roger Travis and that Work is ongoing. You can find us easily online. Um, I guess that pretty much covers it. Excellent. Um, what, what game did you last play on the uh, on the Vintage Game Club? We finished Another World, ah. uh, which you just played. Uh, yeah, soon, I, right? I just went for it this weekend, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and there's an ongoing uh, playthrough of uh, Psychonauts. Oh wow! Um, cool. So yeah, it, we've kind of recently changed the rules to enable people to sort of easier, quicker get games going without too much interference. If, if there's five people who agree that they're interested and they commit to doing it, then we just open the forum and let them go rather than like having votes and deciding which one we're going to do. And this way we, we play more games and I think more people can, um, if, they, if they're willing to champion a game, a person can just take the horn and run with it. Excellent. I, I totally didn't realize you guys were playing for another world. Um, yeah, <laughs> I've just played for the weekend, so I'll probably have to drop down to the forum and, and share my thoughts. It's a that was a great discussion. Uh, some guys got involved in that that really care about that game. Uh, and, and just terrific, thoughtful commentary there. I would re- highly recommend people check it out. Oh, uh, I, I didn't write any of them. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I had a few things to say, but I'm not talking about my own stuff. I'm seriously talking about people, many of whom I've never met, who just came by and... Uh, their way of seeing that game was very helpful to me in sort of giving me a kind of a perspective on what that game means and why that game, I think, really is an important, pivotal game in the history of video games. So many developers cite it as their, their favorite game. Uh, so many, you know, important, high-profile developers. So it's, and I, after playing, I can kind of, even, you know, what is it, 18 years later, I can, you can see why. You really oh, can. yeah. It's an amazing game. Um, so that, that is the Vintage Game Club, which I, I thoroughly recommend as well, that you go check it out. And, uh, and Michael's at BrainyGamer.com. Uh, Jeff, Jeffrey, Matt Leff, what have you been doing and uh, where have you been doing it? <laughs> um, so you will, I, as I mentioned before, I do a, uh, an article on every other week. Is that bi-weekly or bi-monthly? Let's you do this every... <laughs> podcast and I always forget which one it is. Let's so, go every other week because we, we 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 never know. So that, that, yes. that's the challenging. Yeah, every other week at um, 
at thegamereviews.com called Challenging Conventions, where I look up you know new mechanic or idea and kind of explore that in detail. Um, otherwise, I've been doing a lot of uh, game reviews at Games Abyss. Uh, I just reviewed Xenoclash, which I know Michael loved and Brad did not. So. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, my review of 3D Dot Game Heroes should be up pretty soon um, as well. And also, I do some freelancing for for G4. I I most recently reviewed Near for them about three weeks ago, which which I really liked. I know a lot of people weren't so into it, but um, it was just low expectations or something. But I I really had a blast with Near. So anyway, that's what I do. You can find all of it on the Big Red Potion site. I I read your Near review and and uh, annoyingly you've, you've suckered me, and I'm going to have to go looking for it now. I was going to let it go. But no, um, it, it no I, I hope me. you really like it because I, I know a lot of people weren't so keen on it, but it you know really surprised me. So I, I know previous uh, bigger potion guest Justin McRoy hated that game so much. You can find out all about that on his site. But. <laughs> Is it, it, well, you know, I, I didn't get get on that well with uh, their other action RPG, um, Square Enix, but I'm, I'm willing to give another one a go. Which one are you referring to? <laughs> being, being a bit, <laughs> being facetious and talking about Final Fantasy XIII. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, I'll let that go. <laughs> um, but yes, and and you also got your blog as well at jumpingmustache.com, Is that right? Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Excellent. Um, any any shout outs as well to anyone, anyone else? I hadn't I hadn't prepared for this. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you know, we'll wish, uh, Joe the best mm. with whatever he's doing. The, we wish you could have been here today, but yeah. to Joe. To Joe. We, we do miss you, and uh, hopefully he'll be back uh, for episode 42 in, in two weeks' time from this, when this goes up. But yeah, he's just going through some family stuff at the moment, but uh, we do wish him our best, and we look forward to having him back on the show. Um, just finally from me then, very quickly, I, I've also been busy at Games Abyss, writing in the editor's corner there, and my, my Super Street Fighter 4 review went up, which was uh, ridiculously glowing. Um, I, I'm also... Uh, writing for game people now uh, at the returning gamer column there so if you want to check that out that's at gamepeople.co.uk and uh, a week after the show goes no by the time the show goes up I will no longer be part of the game reviews uh, I'm, I'm leaving my position as editorial and feature director there and uh, Eddie Inzato <laughs> one of our regulars is taking back he, he was the director there before me he's taking the job back uh, so uh, it's all changed at TGR but uh, just anyone if anyone is listening from TGR anyone who's been following my work at TGR I had a fantastic time there and I really learned a lot of things and it was very valuable to me and I, I, I will miss the place. But of course this doesn't change anything for Big Repotion, I'll still be doing the show uh, and we'll still be networked with the site so um, no worries there Right, long explanation done time to close out show So uh, thank you so much again to, to Brad, to Michael to Jeff for today and uh, join us in two weeks time when, uh, I don't know what we're doing but it will be very interesting. See you then Thank you.